Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 20. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and you're listening to the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Live Jiu-Jitsu. Live Jiu-Jitsu supports social projects in Brazil and the United States who offer free jiu-jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to buy new mats, uniforms, tournament registrations, and the monthly expenses of these projects. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coaches donate all the profit of t-shirts and patches sales to Live Jiu-Jitsu. For more information, please visit www.liveju-jitsu.org. It's www.liveju-jitsu.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, John Baker. John is a blue belt in jiu-jitsu who is a student at Jiu Jitsu Academy. And John is a former professional baseball player who spent seven years in the major leagues. And currently, he is the mental skills coach for the Chicago Cubs. After retiring from baseball, he earned a degree in liberal studies from Arizona State University. A large part of John's work is teaching mindfulness and meditation practices to athletes. He's trained in mindfulness-based attention training, MBAT, directly under Dr. Amishi Jha and Scott Rogers at the Jha Laboratory at the University of Miami. He has also completed the first level of UCLA's MARC Mindfulness Program. He is a philanthropist who was nominated for the Roberto Clemente Award, baseball's highest humanitarian award in 2010, who has also visited troops in Iraq and assisted the earthquake relief efforts in Haiti. John lives in Gilbert, Arizona, is married and a proud father. John lives by the philosophy of constantly seeking out obstacles and challenges. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thank you so much for having me on, Gustavo. Very honored to be on your show. Awesome. So tell us a little bit, how did JJ get into your life? Man, well, I, you know, a long time ago in 2006, I was a minor league baseball player and you know, I don't know how much the audience would understand about, or this audience would understand about the way baseball works, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, baseball has an extensive farm system, and you have to climb uh, the ladders, making not a lot of money in really small towns all throughout the United States, and it can be a real. We call it the grind. I mean, it's a. We play 140 baseball games in 150 days. We're away from our family for about eight months a year, and the most you can make for the first six years of doing that, I think, is around like fifteen or sixteen thousand dollars a year. So you end up working full time at home. So people say, uh, you know, you pay to play um, when it comes to trying to chase your dreams in baseball. But I had a really good season and I didn't get called up to the big leagues and I was really frustrated. And I realized that I'd never really been in a fight in my life where mm -hmm. I grew up. And so the closest gym to me at the time was a place called Caesar Gracie Jiu Jitsu. And how old were you? I was about 25 at the time. Mm -hmm. So this was 2006. 
And I walked in, the UFC had just gotten popular and I walked in and I started doing some kickboxing classes there. And then I was watching the people grapple and I thought, man, I should try that. And I, I, I kind of hit me the first time I ever hit the mat because I recognized really quickly, oh, this is something that's really hard that takes a really long time to get good at. And those things for me are super attractive. I'm like, oh, mm. that's, that's what the things that I like. I like the things that take 10 or 15 years to get good at because you have to make a real commitment. And that's something that I've, you know, I was taught by my parents to value kind of that long-term grinding commitment. And it really helped me in my baseball career. So I recognized that, well, life kind of pushed, put me in a different path. I got called up to the major leagues basically a year later. Now all of a sudden it was in my contract to never be able to do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, I played uh, seven seasons in the big leagues. And after I was done playing the big leagues, I played one more year in the minor leagues and I got released in the middle of the season, which means they just, they decided that my, I was, I was too expensive to uh, have on their team in the minor leagues anymore. So mm -hmm. they released me from my contract and I went home. I was home for about a month and a half and I was getting real competitive with everybody. Hmm. And my wife looked at me and said, you need to find something to do. And I knew exactly what it was. And so I just drove down the street to the nearest gym in California at the time, mm -hmm. um, bought a gi and a white belt and hopped on the mat and went from, you know, one first week I did it twice. And then the next week I did it three times. And then by week three, I was going six times and I was watching videos um, and I was hooked and it really has just filled this massive vacancy in my life that baseball left. I spent so much, so much of my life was spent training to do one sport. And I think when you, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about like 50% of my life, like from the time I was five until I was 35, all I thought about, uh, you know, besides doing my school duties and being around my family was my business was self-improvement and mm -hmm. learning how to swing the stick better and really hard game to master as well. You know, in baseball, a 30% success rate offensively for a 10 year period means you're one of the best people ever. There's no other sports wow. where 30% is a good rate and, and in baseball it is offensively. So that's how difficult that skill is. Um, yeah. And so when my baseball career ended, I felt like I got kicked out of a helicopter and landed in some mm -hmm. ice cold water. And, and, you know, I know that, and jujitsu was like the life raft kind of gave me something to aspire to be like, uh, gave me something to, gave me something to study something to keep me in shape. Uh, and then of course, you know, you get into the community and that was one of the things that I didn't realize going in. Um, you know, I missed the locker room when I was done playing too. I missed my friends seeing them every day and, and, and jujitsu provides the same kind of relationships. You know, everybody's in it together. Everyone's a little banged up. Um, everyone's trying to learn something new. Everyone always gets beat by the same person. You know, you have this kind of, uh, this familial, um, team-like atmosphere that, that, you know, you've fostered so well. That's why I, I so appreciate training at, at your gym. The techniques are great, but the people, um, the people that are on those mats are, mm -hmm. you know, they've, they're really quickly become lifelong friends. And so all those things attracted me to, to jujitsu. And then I started getting a chance to compete. And, and now I can't wait for the baseball off seasons when I can find times to sign up for tournaments. Nice. And how do you feel BJJ relate to life? I mean, it couldn't be a more perfect metaphor. Um, you know, we want, we want to be, we always have these aspirations and dreams that we want to, we want to be somewhere, but we want to be there right now. You know, we don't want to suffer for it. We don't want to make sacrifices. And one of the things that I've learned about life that, that I think that anybody that does Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu would tell you is that your sacrifice is what makes you good at it. Your sacrifice is what makes you worth it. 
I mean, there's literally moves called sacrifice throws in the sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's what you have to do. You have to sacrifice your time and your energy. Mm-hmm. Um, you might have to sacrifice what feels good right now to go do something that's really difficult. Um, and there's so much, there's so much value in that. To me, that is the, that is like the happiness equation. It's like, where can I take, I have to suffer a certain amount. Where can I consciously direct it mm-hmm. so that I can be happy? And man, jujitsu and I think other martial arts as well are great. Absolutely. They're a great pathway to um, alleviate that. And at the end of the door, I mean, it's not, it doesn't matter. It's not, it's not the, it's not necessarily just the black belt. It's the happiness that you, ha- that you, that you take away from it every single day, mm-hmm. every single day going in and training the way you feel when you walk out of the gym is I think why we all continue to show up for the process and the journey. Now, when did you have your spark to pursue your vision? Let's go in two parts. First, to become professional baseball player, then eventually working with mental skills, especially with athletes. And how was the mindset back then of those two different phases? You know, when you decided to, okay, I really want to pursue this full time. That's going to be my career. How did you deal with the doubts and insecurities and you know, it's, it's always a tough transition when you take big challenges like that. So I'd love you to expand on this. Well, I mean, I think for the first one, you know, I had some different moments throughout my childhood where I realized, you know, that I was as good or better than some of the other kids, uh, you know, when we were playing because Cal- I grew up in California and there's an extensive baseball community there. I mean, everybody plays baseball growing up where I'm, where I'm from. Um, and I kind of recognized that I was pretty good, but I also recognized really early on, and I'm fortunate, my father was a, my father went to Stanford, uh, was a psychologist at Stanford, you know, studied psychology at Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, and he likes to joke that he trained me. Um, he'd wake mm-hmm. me up early and take me outside and show me how structured work led to uh, improvement. And I think that that's the kind of first, uh, the first stage of my, of pursuing my own vision was, pers- or just pursuing my dreams was just this addiction to these small little improvements. Hmm. You know, I could see myself just slowly getting better and I could compare myself. And, and I know that this is not something that I recommend people do at all, but I would compare myself to my peers and I would watch them work. And then I would weigh that against what I did. And I would, and, and I would, I was getting addicted to the feeling of nobody else is willing to do this. I'm willing to do this. That is what kind of, that was the gasoline that kind of burned and, and pushed me forward. And then you know, I grew up and my grandfather watched baseball. My dad watched baseball. Baseball games were on TV when I was a kid. They were on the radio. So as a little kid, I don't know that I had a choice really to, to find myself in any other sport. Fortunately, I was good at it. Um, you know, my dad has two passions. He has two sons and he has two passions. So my, my dad's first passion was baseball and his oldest son became a major league baseball player. And my dad's second passion is music. And my younger brother, his, his other son, his youngest son is a professional musician. So he's, he's, he's kind of, he kind of pushed us, not pushed us, but kind of guided us into what he loved. He taught us what he loved and Mm -hmm. we loved it too. And we loved it so much that, you know, and so I think that's, that's a big part of it. You know, that kind of relationship with my family, the, the men in my family that all played baseball, um, and feeling like I could kind of carry their name somewhere, you know, I could take their name somewhere. And I think that really kind of sparked that and my addiction to improvement were a really nice combination, um, to, to, to drive somebody to get better at sports, uh, as, as a kid and be committed. I mean, I was a committed child to the things that I was doing. I, I made sure that I got home after school 
and I finished my schoolwork and I, I would find my own time to go practice things. Uh, I just, I just, I was fortunate enough to be taught to love to do that stuff. And, and, uh, uh, and how old were you when you feel that you had like very clear vision, you know, on the, that you're, you're doing this. So how young do you remember 14, that? 14, okay. 14 years old. I think that's when I kind of started becoming a man a little bit. And I think my mind changed, you know, I mm -hmm. wasn't so much of a child and that's when I started wanting to go do practice by like on my own. I wanted to go practice on my own. I wanted to yeah. go learn about new ways. I wanted to read books about, um, you know, the mental game of baseball or the mental ABCs. I, I started kind of going beyond school to do my own things to, to learn nice. about how, how, how I could, how I could get better. That's when I, I really recognize it. The second moment for me, the absolute clear defining moment of my career. I can remember I was in triple A. So I've, I've ascended all the way to the highest level of the minor leagues. This means that with my position, you know, there was, there was um, 60 of my position at the major league level and 60 at the triple A level. So at this point in my life, I am in the top 120 in the world at what I do. Mm -hmm. I think I was making $2,500 a month for five months out of the year. Um, and, you know, just that window to the big leagues is, I, I can remember that when I actually did get called up in the first six days, I had a paycheck for six days. It was more than I'd made for the entire half of the year before that. Wow. You know, that's the, that's the, that's what's on the line at this moment. And I can remember not wanting a specific pitcher to come in and pitch against me sitting there in the on deck circle. And, and he was the best guy in the other team. And I thought, well, I got a better chance against this guy. And I know I need to get to, I need to have these numbers if they're going to call me up to the major leagues. And then it hit me. And I thought, you know what? That's, that's not true. That's not true. If I want to be where the best are, I have to be good against the best. And for me to be good against the best, I have to want the opportunity to compete against them. So forget about this idea of I'm looking for the best matchup. Now that's not, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to look for the best matchup anymore. And this is something that we teach our players. That was the moment where I started looking for like, what's the, where's the biggest dragon? Who's, mm -hmm. what's the biggest thing to kill? Give me a sword. I'm going to run towards that because that's the, that's the path. And this is super basic Epictetus original, um, Marcus Aurelius stoicism, right? The, the impediment, uh, the impediment to action advances action. Like the thing in the way is the thing to go after right away. Like that's the, that's what we're, that's how we're wired. I feel like as as human beings is go, go after it. Who, who do you say, who does everybody say is the best? I want a shot. I want a chance against that. I just want to try. I want to, I want to see where I am. And that's to me is the, it's also the true, um, I, that's why I feel like I really became a competitor at, at that moment, like an actual competitor. And I wasn't, I was 20, let's see, I was 27 years old. It took me that long to learn that lesson. And I have always thought I was a smart person. I'm totally wrong about that generally, <laughs> but it took me till I was 27 to really have that sink in and hit home. And that, that was the moment when I, things really changed for me. I mean, I went from playing every day in the major leagues within like a week of that moment. And, and doing much better than anybody anticipated and lasting at that level much longer than anybody would have ever expected. Um, and it's a combination of those things. So those kind of three, those three concepts of wanting the biggest challenge, mm -hmm. um, learning to love the work and the process. I mean, this is straight out of Nick Saban, right? Um, and then finding out why 
You know, like, why are you passionate about what you're doing? You know, I found that out. Well, this is what I, my, my, my dad and my family members taught me to love. Mm-hmm. This is, the, I, this is me enjoying this improvement. And this is me realizing that to get to the next level, I need to fight the boss at the end of it. You know, when you, when you show up to do anything and, 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 I'm sure you've experienced similar things in your competitive career where you start looking at the other people out there and you don't go, Oh man, that's really tough. You go, Oh man, that guy's really tough. That's going to be for me. That's going to be, that's going to be fun. That's what I'm, that's what I've always looking for. And I think that that's kind of the, that was the spark for me. Those three things. Yeah, no, I really like what you said. And I feel that even people who are listening, who, who train jujitsu or even compete in jujitsu, the, the, when we mentioned about going against the higher level people, when you start to develop that kind of self-confidence in you. And there's one of my, my favorite book is Psycho-Cybernetics. I think that's the one that made the most impact on me like when I read it years ago. And there's one point that it talk about the difference of between the situational confidence and the full self-confidence. Situational confidence, I'm good as long as I go against those guys. I'm good. I'm confident. You know what I mean? And then the full self-confidence, like, it's basically what you said, you know, like, what is the challenge? You know, let's go. And I feel that this happens a lot in jujitsu. People get too caught up in looking to the competitors list. And a lot of people end up having the situational confidence. They're like, my list is looking good. And then <laughs> someone signed up. Oh my God. Why this guy sign up? Why? Why he, he should, you know what I mean? So now it suddenly changed. So the way is really working towards the full self-confidence and, and, and Maxwell Moss, you talk about the only way to get that is like really working on your self-image and uh, reprogramming your brain. You know, that's the only way to do it. Now, when did you have the spark to start working on more seriously on the part of the mental skills? Okay, so this is once my once my career ended in in baseball um, as as a player. It was 2015, and I took about six months off, and I didn't do anything. Uh, I spent time with my family at our house in California, and we, my, my wife and I, kind of put our heads together, and I really took the time to 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 think about how I wanted to spend my time after after sports. I was fortunate enough to have been smart enough to not have had to get a job immediately. I might have to work, but didn't have to get one right away. You know, I saved money for, for this because I knew it was not going to be easy to break away from something like this. Mm -hmm. Um, it consumed so much of my time at the same time. I still have a, I still had a love for it. So I knew that if the opportunity was right, I would, I would be willing to, I'd be willing to kind of reattach myself to baseball in a different way. And, Theo Epstein um, is the is the president of our team. Uh, he was named. He, so he has he's he'll he'll be a Hall of Fame um, general manager. And last year, Newsweek named him the greatest leader in the world, which we kind of find funny around work because he's just a regular person. Um, mm-hmm. But he's incredibly smart, and he broke a like a hundred year curse in Boston. They hadn't won championships, and he broke a hundred eight year curse in in Chicago. And so when he called and said, "Hey, I want to hire you. I don't know what you're going to do yet." but I want you to get a feel for the organization, kind of check it out, check out the Cubs and, and see where, see where you think we can improve. Um, but with no real direction for a job. And so I took that job the first year and that was the year that we won the world series in 2016. And I spent time working um, in this kind of uh, mentorship role. I played with a lot of the guys that were on that team. Um, I played with even guys that were in the minor leagues. And so now they had somebody coming back in that had just finished but was willing to offer them kind of 
honest advice. So I was somebody that because they, these guys had competed against me, they trusted my, they trusted my opinion and my feedback. And mm-hmm. um, my position as a baseball player was catcher. Now catcher is responsible for more things than anybody else on the baseball field. They have to know the tendencies of the opposing offense, the tendencies of the pitcher, where the people are supposed to be positioned. You're like another coach on the field, but more importantly, you're like a jockey and the pitcher is the horse and you have to learn how to get the most out of people, no matter how they feel. And so over 15 years of doing that professionally, I mean, 15 years of caring about somebody else's performance lend itself really nicely to caring about everybody else's performance and being there as somebody to, when they have complaints, I'm there to hear their complaints. Um, and I can, I can offer them honest and, and fe- honest feedback and they usually take my advice. So, the, the area fit. And what I kind of found out about this job as a mental skills coach for me in baseball was that it just was about me being myself uh, around people, um, mm-hmm. still reading the same things that I wanted to read anyway. I mean, I don't feel like, you know, when I went back and finished at Arizona State, that liberal studies major is in, in interdisciplinary study. It's about looking at problems from multiple angles. That's the, that's what my college training is in. And I love to solve complicated problems that have have things to do with emotion and physical issues and like how do we get this person to move his body in this specific way so this happens over and over again and how do we get him to get his mind out of the way and and I just I was so hungry to learn so I found this opportunity with the Cubs where I could learn about the things that I wanted to learn about I could balance the schedule nicely enough to spend quality time with my family and and fulfill the physical need that I have to go out and train five or six days a week um, grappling uh, and when I get when I do go to work, I'm talking about the things that I want to learn about anyway, and I'm doing it with my friends, and I ha- already have an area of expertise from from playing at that level as well. Um, so it just kind of fit like a key. Uh, could not have been a, a more ideal matchup for me. Yeah. And, and I think that that's my advice to people about finding the jobs is like, what are you like? What do you love to do? What do you love to talk about? There's a way that you can do that for work. There's absolutely a way to do that. I mean, absolutely. There, there's there's so many people out there that are examples of that. Um, and uh, you know, I think that it's also tough, you know, once you, and, and you experienced this too, when you chase a dream, as long as I did, it's really hard to, to go into, I'm going to go do this and this ordered and structured thing. I, I like to be outside. I like to be traveling. I like to be meeting new people. I've done that my whole life. And I couldn't be, couldn't be contained into one place. Mm-hmm. Now, basically you can choose, what direction you want to go as maybe a mental skills on that period that you're becoming a mental skills coach or a professional player. What are some of the fears and doubts that popped up during the, that process and how did you deal with it? Maybe you can choose some of the key points that you felt that you got a little, even though you're always working on yourself and personal development, of course, you're a human being. You're going to have moments that you have fears and doubt. And I always like to say this because we do have actually professional athletes who listen to this, who have entrepreneurs, and mainly the, I like to target a lot to people who are in transition. They, they want to do different. they just like, you know what, I had it. You know, I have to do the, the change. But sometimes they do get overwhelmed with fear, anxieties, and doubts. So some of the tough moments, we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, your toughest struggle. But how would you say that you dealt with some of the fears and doubts that popped up along the way? Well, fortunately for me, baseball is a sport that if your mind is in the future or in the past, it's impossible. It's almost impossible to execute in the moment. And so I had daily intervention 
uh, away from my own thinking because to be successful yeah. that sport, like I, like I said, that. you have to be focused or else you're going to get hurt. And, and I, I learned, um, over time to constantly check back into right now. And, and it's, it's rather ironic that my, my work now is a lot in mindfulness because that's what it is. It's about paying attention in a particular way on purpose in the present moment without any judgment for what happened or where your mind was or where it's going. You know, you start to learn how to become an observer of your thoughts so that you can get away from those because emotions, thoughts, I mean, I think this is a, and this is a very important point. Like we are not those things. We are not the things that pop into our head. We are the mm -hmm. observer of those things and we're not the emotions. We're the, we're the, we feel them. We, f we feel the waves um, as, as they come on. And so, you know, I have uh, training in this now. And so if I do feel that way, um, if I do feel, and, and, and everybody feels that way. And that's the, that's the, that's the second part of this is the first step to handling those, those fears and anxieties for me personally was accepting that they were real things and not trying to run away from them. Um, mm -hmm. Again, it's kind of the, it correlates back to the principles of stoicism. You know, when you see the dragon, go towards it. That's the, that's, that's where you, you need to turn, you need to turn in that direction. Um, right. I think that most of the time in, in, in jujitsu as a basic concept, like you probably want to turn back into your opponent, right? You don't want to turn your back on anybody and you don't want to turn your back on how you actually feel. And a lot of people resist. Uh, and I resisted as a younger person, but like I said, learning how to learning about how to check back into the present moment for me was so big because when you get into the present, you start to realize, Oh, right now, right now I'm okay. Right now I'm okay. And I have this vision of where I want to go. And I'm going to be able to make these payments the next month. And if I'm not, we have, we have systems in place to deal with that in the United States. You know, like we, there is a safety net in this place. It just allows being you rational, to just being rational about stuff. Yeah. And, but checking back in right into this moment, you know, taking a moment to, to fully follow the breath all the way in and all the way out, follow the auto, automatic process of the body, feel your heart rate start to calm down come back to come back to this moment right now when you watch a baseball game there's all these breaks in the game and so like a guy will take a swing and then he'll get back in the batter's box and you see him go <sighs> right and he's now he's back right here because he has to be able to be here to react and that's that's where all the good stuff happens that's the only time that's real i mean you can get really philosophical about it right tomorrow is a relative term meaning that it's not real doesn't exist the only thing that exists is this present moment and if you're not fully aware in that moment you're missing life. Uh, and, and I think that's where when we get trapped in those fears and anxieties about, you know, anxieties about the future, rumination is about the past. When we get trapped away too far away from the present moment, we give ourselves a lot of psychological stress that doesn't necessarily help anybody do anything. Absolutely. And one time I was I actually even mentioned this in one of my vlogs or, or something, but I read it. I was watching an interview or reading something years ago in sports and football, they're asking what it takes to become a great, they ask one of the wide receivers, what do you think it, what it takes to become a great wide receiver? And I don't, I don't remember who said, but he mentioned short memory. That means it's not because you got an amazing catch that you're going to be like, Ooh, yeah, yeah, like, okay, great. Back to the line of scrimmage. We've got another one. And it's not because you, you, you fumble, you drop, you're going to be, Oh my God. Or like, okay, it happened back to the line of scrimmage could have another one so just have that short memory to refocus like, like i said breathing okay let's regroup let's move on now which by the way is it in that and said it needs to be practiced 
right? Yes. And that's the yeah. part that he think people sometimes think that I'm going to do once and I'm good. I'm fixed. Hallelujah. You know, and it's not like that. You got to practice and put the work, which can be exhausting, by the way. Yep. So what do you feel? Because I think there's a great correlation with entrepreneurship, athletes, professional athletes, people competing and so forth. What do you feel that a lot of people have been struggling lately? Could it be entrepreneurs? Could it be professional athletes? What are some of the struggles that you see and what kind of, I don't know, suggestions do you have for them? Um, well, I think that the first thing that we notice, especially as our, you know, every year we get a younger group of players in, um, people's attention spans are shorter than they used to be. And mm -hmm. I think that this is directly attributed to um, our use of technology and devices. Well, we have all these wonderful things about technology. It also um, kind of picks up some of the slack that our brain used to take on. Um, and so I know that there's, you know, the American Psychological Association talks about in, in 2014, I think like 16% of the working population in the United States was at I can't deal with this levels of stress and it's rapidly rising. Like the, yeah. the prediction is by, by 2031, half of the U S workforce is going to be at that level, like having to quit because Scary. they can't handle the stress. And there's a direct correlation to the amount of time spent looking at like a personal handheld device and your level of happiness. And I think that that is a big issue. And I think that that's one of the things that we really try to push with our um, athletes and, And, as, and in meeting these different sports teams from around the world, these things are happening. Like we, we just recently hosted Australia cricket when I was in Chicago and their captain of their team. And he was telling me that they now, whenever they get on a bus to go play a game, the moment they get on the bus, they put their phones in like a lockbox so that they're just together. Mm -hmm. uh, we used to be like that a lot. We used to be like that a lot kind of face to face uh, and talking to each other. And that leads to, that leads to happiness generally for people. So That's, that's, that's one of the things that I've really noticed is that people are stressed out and, and you know, you have to, you have to submit to the game at, at, a, at a certain point as well. You have to submit to the fact that if you're building a business or uh, you're an athlete as well, you have, you're going to have to use social media. And so I think that that's, that's an important point is learning how to be mindful with the use of those things. They're the most Boundaries. things on the world and the, the addictive things in the world. Are you using those things intentionally with a purpose or Are you falling victim like I have myself to next thing you know, you're just scrolling through one of those things, looking at all these pictures, wondering if they're real or not. And you, I mean, they can, they can suck up sometimes 10, 20, 30, an hour, two hours of people's time that yep. I've seen it happen. And it's the biggest time drain. Uh, it's the biggest waste. You're much better off listening to people have a conversation like this than you are just staring at the staring at the phone. And, and it's tough to do and it's tough to break. I mean, one of the strategies that we have at our house, is I've, I've tasked my children with being the phone police. So if mom or dad is standing around looking at a cell phone, my kids will walk over and say something to me like, uh, am, uh, is your phone more important than your time with me? And I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> But hey, that's, the, that's what it takes. That's, we have to be that ruthless um, to, to help pull, or pull ourselves away because nothing's been, like I said, as addictive. So that's my first, my first real big piece of advice is learn about the attention span. It's shorter than the goldfish and it's probably due to the phone, but there are. And then my second piece of advice would be begin a, begin a focused attention mindfulness practice. I can, I can diagram how to do that out with words. It's not, it's not complicated. It's just really tough to do, 
um, it has, there's four parts to this. Um, and, and that's it. You set it, you sit down quietly and you set an intention to think about one thing, right? So the usually, usually what we use is, you know, a lot of meditation practice uses the breath because the breath is automatic. You don't even have to do it on purpose. It'll do it for you. And you spend your energy for the next 12 minutes, three times a week, following it, focusing on it, noticing the physical sensations as your chest expands and your ribs expand when you breathe in and then notice as you exhale how everything around it softens. Almost immediately you're going to get distracted and this is where the game comes in. Mm -hmm. The game that you're playing is recognize, oh, I'm thinking about not my breathing and instead of judging yourself for doing so, being somewhere else, then you say, oh, okay, I'm thinking about planning in the future. What was I supposed to do? I'm coming back to my breath for this one, for, for, for this one right here in this moment. And then I follow it. And then the next thing happens and you go, oh, well, this thing happened in the past. And just a cycle of thoughts. Sometimes, sometimes the mind is clear. There's, there's, it's beautiful and sunny and there's not, a, there's not a thought in the head and there's not a cloud in the sky. Other times it's dark and stormy and there's a million things running through it. Mm-hmm. Just like the weather, we cannot change that as people. We can only learn to observe and, and accept it and then pull the useful thoughts out that we want. But the first step is that. It's, it's this mindfulness practice of 12 minutes a day, three times a week. Set an intention to follow your breath. Inevitably, you'll be distracted. It doesn't matter. Recognize the distraction. Reorient the, att- the attention back. We talk about it at work like every repetition that you do. So a stormy sky is better. Every repetition you do, the stronger your ability to focus becomes, the, the longer that you can hold on to your awareness, the longer you can follow somebody's conversation. Um, and it kind of fights back to that, uh, that, this technological addiction that we see everybody having, that we, we, ha- we have to submit to those rules. So we're all gonna have to face it, but face it with a little bit of defense. Think about it as like, it's spider guard for your attention. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can, you can keep somebody off you for a while. You can keep mm-hmm. focused for a little bit longer. Um, and like I said, you know, these are the things that I've been trained in that have helped me drastically, um, since I stopped playing baseball, you know, meeting those physical needs of grappling, but then also taking time every day. I take time every day now to sit and just mm-hmm. centrally focus my attention. Um, there's other practices that we have too that we don't need to get into here, but you can find them if you look up. Uh, everything that I've learned is based off of um, John Kabat-Zinn's Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, which is a huge medical program that is more effective um, than any pharmacological intervention for anxiety and depression. It's more effective than any pill. It's 45 minutes of meditation a day, but we take MBAT is based off of that program and shortened and tested with the U.S. military, and we use it with our players. Um, and it's, like I said, the minimum prescription, the, the, all you have to work is three times a week, 12 minutes a day, the absolute, the more you can do the better, mm-hmm. but that, that one through hell week, I believe in the military, they did it through hell week and with special forces, no matter how stressful their environment was and how low their sleep was, they tested them at the end of the week and the cognitive function, short term memory all stayed exactly the same. There was no drop off. So they were sure that they were, they, they were certain that they were their brains were fully functioning because they had this focused attention training um, going into hell week. And when we saw that and we realized, okay, there's something here. Mm-hmm. Then you realize the more you do it, you see actual improvements in cognitive function. So if you're nice. stressed out, know why, accept it as real, and then do something about it immediately. You know, 
guarantee that you've seen a lot of transformations, you know what I mean, of athletes. Is there any, of course, you don't, you don't have to mention names, but any specific, using this tool that you mentioned, specific, like, drastic improvement that you saw in someone that was like, man, this person just went from, like, whoa. Well, I think that, yeah. Yeah, well, we had, um, in particular, we had a young pitcher here who had, who had just signed, who was actually from the Arizona area, that developed what in baseball they would call the yips, which is like where there's just a, like an invisible break happens when somebody throws the ball and they just can't throw, they couldn't hit a wall with it. And, and that's their job is to throw it within a really tight kind of circle, um, mm -hmm. be really accurate by throwing a baseball. And then there's just no accuracy, it goes away. Uh, and he, over this year, has really dove into these practices and he's young, he's only 21, um, but he's dove into it. And he's, it's the first case I've ever seen of somebody kind of just returning to form. Um, returning back to that form, like losing that psychological block. Uh, and, and it's, you know, there's a lot of things that he did physically as well. And that's the hard part about this stuff is this is just one menu. This is one item on the menu of things that we offer and teach. And that's the responsibility of the athlete generally. And yes. that's how we kind of function. You know, we don't, we're not looking to, we always, our, 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 my department, the mental skills program with the Cubs, the way that we look at it is, if somebody does something well after an intervention with us, they were going to do it. They were going to do it well anyway. And if somebody does, gets worse, it's it's all it's basically the only thing that the only feedback we get or that we want is that it's our fault. That's how we want everybody to feel. We didn't give you enough. We didn't help you enough because you know it's it's tenuous walking the tightrope of being a professional athlete, especially with your own emotional state. So we always want to make sure like. If you achieve something, you did it. I had nothing to do with it. I might have taught you how to do that, but you actually had to practice. Mm -hmm. So we offer this menu of things to people, and they can they can pull what they have. But specifically there, when you get to the top level in the world, what you find with a lot of people is all of the kind of the axioms of sports psychology or mindfulness. Um, what you find is that these guys generally all have it like built-in systems already. You know, they're lucky enough to have been taught that way sometimes even by accident, you know, like I, I remember asking, I remember asking Ben Zobrist, who's you know, world series MVP, one of the older players in major league baseball. I asked him one day if he had a, uh, a routine where he focuses on, you know, kind of centralizing his attention before he goes in. He's like, no, no, I don't have anything like that. I'm like, well, tell me about your day. And he's like, well, he goes, I get to the, he goes, I get to the ballpark and then he's a Christian, right? So I, I get to the ballpark and I take out my Bible and then I read this one passage and then I, then I set a timer for 10 minutes and I just turn it over and over again in my head. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you're, do, you're doing exactly, that is, you are doing, that is a meditation. And that's another way that people can do it too, is to yeah. take a, like, you know, we see those quotes, they pop up all the time, but, and shoot, you post them on, on the Instagram, it comes out on, right. But you take that quote and sit with it for 12 minutes and have that be the only thing and continue to come back to it over and over again. That's the same thing as following your breath. As long as you're sitting in a stable and upright position and you're not squiggling and moving around enough a bunch and you're focusing on that thing, you'd be surprised at the insight sometimes that, that will pop up, even though it's unintentional and what you'll be able to take away from it. But that's the same practice. And, and the more you think those thoughts, the more they become kind of ingrained and patterned in your head. And then you, you focus on those things. And then what you find is when you get under stress, that's where you go. You go to those good things. You go to those things that you've learned. You go to those things as opposed to the old way of doing things that puts you in those stressful situations in the first place. Yeah, I really like that. And for all the listeners too, man, this is super practical. 
You know what I mean? What he just said is so practical. And, and I personally, I do that, have all my quotes and everything in front of me, you know, the list of quotes and values that I put in each one. I, I put some thought into it, like the same way you said. Now, one of the things that I wanted to ask about, especially about that, um, that 20 year old that just, you know, from actually Arizona that, you know, start to improve, you know, had that, uh, that breakthrough. One thing that I want to ask is I, I did, I created a list of the top 10 mental mistakes jujitsu competitors make and how to avoid them based on all the mental blocks that I had along the way in different moments of my career. Could it be from blue to black belt? Could it be, I was focused on the outcome or fear of disappointing others or fear of making costly mistakes and so forth. So, do you know which one was his major thing that was holding him back? Do you remember? What yeah. Was- so it's the fear of the fear of disappointing others. Mm-hmm. Huge self-esteem. It's so ingrained. That's, in that. that's the one that we experience the most. And we notice it too at the top level when guys sign these big contracts sometimes is that they put so much pressure on themselves because they fear that they're not going to live up to the other people's expectations of them. Mm-hmm. I think that that is the main that is the main culprit um, across the board at the top level of sports is, is the, those feelings um, getting in the way of all of that practice that we do, just expressing itself in the present moment. So I'm super curious how you guys address that because I, I can't imagine how that is in professional sports like that. When you have media, the fans are expecting this, all that kind of stuff. So how I have the way that I deal in jujitsu and how I help people, things that help me, you know, to overcome. At some point I did struggle with that as well. And I do my best to share with uh, students or people that, uh, that usually I'm going to speak or we're not, but what, how do you guys handle that? You know, because I know that there's a lot of people listening to this, that they struggle, that maybe they're not even pursuing certain career because maybe their parents are not going to approve. They don't they expect, them to do this if you do that they're going to disappoint them or the family you know so this is a huge topic which is as i mentioned related to self-esteem so what's some of the things that you guys address related to that well i mean i think that we we try to kind of point the focus back to the process of everything and mm-hmm. and, and kind of re- reinforce those ideas that that's the you know, where, where you're going to change, where you're going to change. If you're not, if you aren't successful, where you're going to change is by what you're doing every day. Like that, that's going to have to change or else we're not going to be able to expect anything different to happen. Um, but it's also, I think being supportive. I mean, and that's part of the, our, our, our role. I mean, we had a, um, I've traveled with people that have been struggling mm-hmm. like this, you know, and just so that they had somebody with them so they didn't feel like they were out on an island and so that they also know that we care about them the same no matter how they perform i think that that's the and that's the hardest lesson i think for anybody to accept and i'm i'm actually interested in to hear to hear what what you have to say about this mm-hmm. um i would love to hear it right now because we um like i said this is the it's the biggest culprit that we face across the board is how do you how do you teach somebody to let all of that stuff go and just be they're doing the things that they practiced kind of in, in an enjoyable state. That's, that's what we're trying to get to. And it's, it's been so hard for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a, it would be lovely to say you do this here and hallelujah, you're fixed. You know what I mean? You know how it's mm-hmm. not how it works, but I think first is to have the realization that I tell people, they say, I don't want to disappoint someone. I don't want to disappoint my family. I don't want to disappoint this and that. And when you stop to think about it, it's not about others disappointing others. It's about you being afraid of being critic, 
criticized and judged and not feeling accepted that you're losing some type of self-esteem or or maybe you're you're afraid of the outcome or what's going to happen but so there's a phrase that i love from from les brown that is say someone's opinion of you don't have to become your reality so if someone does not want to be your buddy or supportive or whatever because you're not meeting their expectations that's on them that's their problem people who love you and care about you they will be with you regardless if they're not they don't want to be they're actually doing you a favor because you don't need that when you mention about the support it's so important like the power of the association that jim ron likes to say you are the average of the, the average of the five people that are hang out the most with now if you're if you're a pro athlete and you hang out with five athletes who have the same issue that man we can't disappoint others guess what you're gonna roll with them you know and when you start being surrounded by people who say like dude now you know watch it you know this this is uh this is something that you can't control and about inter interesting in fact about two weeks ago I was hanging there's you know we just had recently the 2018 master world so we have you know, some people from brazil training at the academy especially from kimura from natal and i was like to i'm always interested in asking on some of the athletes and there's one guy that actually he ended up took second at the open at brown belt master and i think took third in his division tough dude so i was just asking and a little bit about like hey because very quiet you know they have a bunch of black belts talking so it's it's, it's like the guy feels like he, you know, he's not supposed to talk. He's supposed to kind of sit uh, back and listen, you know? So I'm trying to kind of like, so how are you feeling, man? You know, like how, and as we start talking and I, and I start seeing like, he's afraid of, you know, if, if you don't win, I was like, what is the negative voice telling you? You know what I mean? For this weekend, you know, what's your ego telling you basically? And while the sponsors and stuff like that, you know, so I kind of spent some time with this and Orlando was there. For people who don't know, Orlando Montero is one of my black belts and he's uh, the 2018 European black belt champion. And he knows a lot of mental training because of me and I've been mentoring him for years. And I told him like, hey, everything that I teach at the school and I pass to you guys, you know, I want you to pass to, he's an instructor at the school. Like, this knowledge and like you have a lot of knowledge to share to people you know so he started to ask him questions and start kind of giving a little class so he you know i just give him props for him to like dude you know more than you give credit to yourself you know because like, you know so many private seminars that i gave to him you mm -hmm. know before basically so he started to ask and and that kind of helped him, uh, the guy to like release a little bit you know what i mean but more to understand that you know if if a sponsor you're doing the best you can with the tools and knowledge you have right now. If the sponsor is not happy, you know, like, oh, uh, what's going to happen if you lose that sponsor? You're going to have to work uh, to find another one. You're going to hustle. You're going to make it happen. That's your problem. You know, you're going to do whatever you can control. If they don't want to do it because they don't want to meet up, you can meet their expectation. Thank you for all the support. And you go to different ways, you know, and that kind of stuff just starts to release so much, you know, with the anxiety of like, that is true. I'm not, you know, I'm not alone with this and being surrounded by a lot of people who are in the same vibe that over you know, at one point, Orlando had the, the issue with the fear of disappointing others, family and stuff like that. And, and then I kind of wiped that out of his mind, you know, so he doesn't have an issue with that anymore. Or even at least when he does some of the patterns that we do, at least you learn how to control them. 
you know, negative patterns, they don't disappear, but you learn how to control them. So as long as they are self-aware that they're doing, now they get something to, to battle and start using tons of tools like, like you do. You know what I mean? With the, with the guys. You bring up a great point with Orlando and, and, you know, I've been around him and taken class and trained with Orlando and what you realize, what I realize as, you know, having this role with athletes is that I go, Oh, look at this. Orlando has been raised with this kind of perspective. Like it's, he doesn't even have to, he doesn't even have to be able to like consciously identify it because he completely lives it because he's learned it at such a young age Mm -hmm. that it's in, it's, it's ingrained so far inside of him. It's like he, he always is living it out. Like if you, if you follow him or walk around, he's just, he's blending up, he's blending up vegetables and doing more exercise and smiling and talking about how happy he is all the time. Uh, and, 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 and chasing his dream and believing that he's going to be successful because of all of his work. He is the, he is the, like the paradigm of how we want people to act. And he was so fortunate to have you in his life at a young age because he learned those lessons at such a young man. They'll Mm -hmm. always be a part of his life now. And we try to do a very similar thing in my line of work in that our spring training, which is six weeks or five weeks long, we have basically five modules that we cover um, and I don't want to say it's, it's almost like an indoctrination process where we talk about our first week when we get you um, and you're in your first spring training and you're 17 or 18 years old and you're from Venezuela or the Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico or somewhere in the United States um, or Canada or Taiwan or Japan. I mean, we have people all over the world in our organization. Our first week is about we ingrain them with the ideas of control. What do you control and what do you not control? That's lesson number one. Mm -hmm. And we're going to spend all of our energy, all of our focus, all of our attention on the things that we can control. And that is the basic principle of Epictetus and Stoicism is a man's first job is to figure out the things he can control, the things he can't control and spend all of his energy on the former. And so we make them, we have them write a list and what they do is not a bucket list. It's the other way. And we have them, we have them write down anytime they catch themselves thinking about things that are totally out of their control, they write those things down and they learn to release it like that. And at the end of the week, if you want, you can burn that paper symbolically to let it all go. Yeah, yeah. This is not where I want to spend my attention. Or my, my, this is not where I want to spend my time thinking about these things because it makes me feel not very good. And then the next week we talk about gratitude before we even get into being present or competition. We talk about this is what I can control. And then the next week is this is what is already awesome in my life because if I focus on those things, I'm going to be happy. That's, that's science. If I focus on things that make me happy, if those things are in front of my face all the time, if those people are in front of my face, if those thoughts are in my head, what am I? I am all of those things combined in like this big synthesis and I'm going to be happy. So continuing to focus every day on these are the things that are great in my life and these are the things that I value. Um, the third week, then we get into visualization. That's this is where I want to go. Like the one at the end of the road, that's, you know, the, the black belt on top of the mountain with all the metals. That's, that's that, but it's also visualizing myself kind of on, on, on a daily basis as part of a mental routine from my own eyes, seeing myself do the things that I want to do over and over again before I go out and practice. So it's the micro scale and the macro scale. So these are the things I can control. This is the athletes that we're trying to build, right? Uh-huh. Guys understand what they can control and don't stress out about the other things. Um, guys that are grateful and positive guys that have a clear vision of where they want to be of what they want to do and the willingness to do those mental reps to get there. Mm-hmm. And then by the fourth week we get to being present and that's us doing all of those things constantly coming back to the present moment to do all of those things. 
to be grateful, to make sure that we have our plan in place uh, and to make sure that we're nailing all the things that we can control. And then the final week, the fifth week for us is competition. And that's us just letting, releasing our body to do what we trained it to do. Um, kind of like the integration in a way, putting everything yeah, together. Everything together. And we tell stories. So in every day, the way that we kind of give these messages that. to the players is every morning we have a quote. We break them up into smaller groups. So there's like maybe 30, 35 at a time like a classroom. Every morning we have a quote about that specific topic. And we have a discussion for about 15 minutes about it. And then we redundantly hammer it home for seven days in a row. Seven days in a row, you're reading, you're hearing almost exactly the same thing, but from a different person over and over and over again. And then you're given your list at the end of the thing to pin up on your locker. And, and it's just so clear um, what we're looking for. And our idea is that by doing this developmentally, when we first get these players, we won't experience that those, you know, that list of the, of the 10 mental mistakes that people make. Like our idea is we're trying to filter out all of those mistakes as they develop mm -hmm. towards the top. And, mm -hmm. and, and what you do find usually the guys that get there and stay there, those are the guys that they have those bulletproof minds. Like the doubt and stuff doesn't even creep in. They always believe they're going to be successful. They know what it takes for them to, to work. They know how much sleep they need to get. They, that's, you know, we talk about professionalism. They handle those things. All of the physical maintenance they handle incredibly professionally and intentful and focused and all the mental stuff they say, well, why am I going to be successful? It's not my track record. It's what I did to get here. You mm -hmm. know, that's the, that's the, those are the real bulletproof minds that the, you find. But we do that's the, the true, the true high performers, right? To get into that level. And with that, there's a good question that I have after what is one, I, I guess like, you know, I have a clue, but what is the one high performance habit that helps you in progress, jujitsu, baseball in, in your life? Oh, for me now, um, it's that. It's that sitting practice. I do it every single day. I do it twice a day generally. Um, I like to do it. Uh, I was doing it when I was competing, and when I was getting a chance to compete, I would sit there, and as the guy was bouncing around on the mat next to me, I would sit there and breathe and focus mm -hmm. on it over and over again and try to get myself in that kind of centralized place so that you know, I'm, I'm, I, don't have the, I don't have the kind of mind to, to think, none of us do, to think about what's happening as it's happening right? Mm -hmm. Especially in the heat of the competitive moment. Um, and that's the habit that I, I would, I would love to be able to pass on to as many, as many people as possible. I and mean, it's made a huge impact in my life. It's allowed me to recognize that I am not my thoughts and that releases so much judgment that I've had on myself in the past away. Yes. Um, and that's the, that's the essential practice of mindfulness. And I, I did it in a way when I was playing, but the sad part for me is, and that's my one regret for my career is that I was never introduced to concepts in this form. We talked about compartmentalization a lot when I was, that was the big language that when I was a player and that's, it's another great lesson. It's, you know, be where your feet are, like whatever you're doing right now, that's the only thing you're doing. You want to do it well. That's, that's how we all should live our lives. And so, you know, you get to the baseball field, you put the uniform on, you're at work, you're focused, you're locked in, you get to the gym, you put your gi on, you go out onto the mat, like this is, this is the, this is it, this is work, this is the, it's not, it's not the tournament that's the most important time, it's, mm -hmm. it's the, it's the 10 a.m. class or the drilling class that you showed up to, that when you stepped on the mat, that is the, that's the most important time because that's, that's the only time. So learning where you are. And then when you leave, you leave it there. You leave it there. And, and, and I learned that fortunately from baseball too. You know, you leave work at work so that home can be home. And that's how you can develop that good life work life balance and, and leave those issues at the door. When you take that uniform off or you take the gear off and you throw it in the washing machine, now you're just a person again. I like that. This is super important. Now, uh, there's one of the questions that I don't want to 
forget here is about the most difficult experience that you have in your journey. Let's say, you know, in your whole baseball journey and, and what, because I like to ask toughest moment in people's entrepreneurial journey. But as far as like as a pro athlete, what was the biggest struggle and what did you learn from it? Um, I have two specific times. Um, one was my third year professional baseball. I had one most valuable player on my team both years at the different levels as I was ascending. I got to the top level in the minor leagues. And I was sure that I was going to be like a young major league player. I was going to make $100 million. Like I was, I had all of this um, kind of, you know, like just boundless confidence. Um, and then I hit an enormous roadblock. I had some vision problems. And I couldn't see for a couple months, and it really affected my um, oh. my baseball. Um, and as I was, I was I was questioning all of my techniques, right? So I had a physical limitation, and instead of recognizing that I couldn't see, it took me too long to figure. It took me a couple months, and then I finally figured it out. And my contact lenses, things changed, and then my performance improved. But instead of looking at like the obvious answer to my problem, which was right in front of me, like it's impossible to hit if you can't see. Mm -hmm. I was thinking that it was something that I was practicing and doing wrong. So I was spending mm -hmm. all of my energy trying to alter all of my techniques that I had spent my whole life practicing because of a physical limitation that I was blind to because I couldn't, I didn't have the self-awareness to step back and accurately evaluate the thing that I was going through. And I was fortunate enough to have great coaches. I was, I was in the minor leagues with the Oakland A's. I was fortunate enough to have great coaches that their main advice to me at one point was they said, stop, you're not allowed you are not allowed to practice for like two weeks. You're out. You're no batting practice, no hitting in the cage, no practice swings. You're going to go out and play a baseball game like a kid again. And when that happened, I didn't have that preparation. I was pretty stressed out and anxious. But at the same time, it kind of released me because now I wasn't worried about how I was performing. Mm -hmm. um, I was just out there being a kid again and then really simplifying things back, uh, back mentally. And so I kind of, again, I, that, that was a big obstacle, but the lesson I took away from it was so valuable mm -hmm. um, that I'm very happy that I went, I'm grateful that I went through it. I don't wish, I don't wish that people go through things like that, but I wish them the insight that comes from those things I think is the yeah. best way to describe it. And then the second one is I um, spent seven years in the minor leagues and I get called up and finally I make it to the big leagues and I'm an everyday player um, and things are going great. And then I have to have my elbow completely restructed, restructured, uh, broke my arm, tore a ligament, uh, had to have a nerve moved. I'd like triple surgery. I was out for about 13 or 14 months. I missed an entire season of no repetitions. And that was after my first full season of playing in the major league. So I achieved my dream. I got to the highest level in the world. I was one of the best players at my position on earth. Um, and then life decided to uh, throw me a massive curveball, And I had to come back and kind of relearn how to play the game that I love, that I grew as a kid. I was never, I was never quite the same uh, player because of the, because of the injury. Mm -hmm. um, but then having to accept that, I think again, like I, I, I don't wish these things on other people. I just wish the insight that comes from them to them because having to come back and re-earn everything again, just kind of sparked my fire even more. You know, I had to go down to the Dominican Republic and prove to baseball that I was healthy. I got traded to a different team. I had to leave Florida and went to San Diego, which is not a bad place to live, um, but it's not a, not a great place to hit for the offensive players. And I became a backup catcher at that point. I had to learn this whole new role within the game. And, and I extended my career another three years after that injury, which most people gave me no credit to do. Um, 
and like I said, I learned, I just learned so much about myself. I learned that like sometimes, you know, we, we think that we're going to be in this certain place uh, and life is not all about our plans. Generally, they're not about our, our super long-term plans. Life likes to just mix it up and it's your job to look at those moments and pull away the usable information. Like what can you learn from what just happened? How does this make you a stronger person? Um, as opposed to letting it be any sort of an obstacle. And again, it goes all the way back to stoicism, right? The obstacle, whatever the biggest obstacles are, that's, that's the way, that's the path forward. That's where the greatest insight's going to come from. So not running away from them, uh, facing those, facing those difficult times head on. And, and like I said, those are two of the hardest times of my life as an athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the, two of the biggest, the largest maturation moments of my life that I can point to. I'm going to ask you about the best book, you know, like to, you know, that you have, that you ever, it's tough to pick one, you know, you got to read a lot, but I'm saying, you know, that made the most impact on you and, and what specific moment of your life. And you've been mentioning a lot about stoicism and stuff and actually a good book that is a great suggestion too is the obstacle is the way because you just mentioned about ryan holiday which is awesome and ego is the enemy great books too if people want to get more involved and learn a little bit more what you're talking about you know it's he does a great job with i listen to the audiobook he does a great job with that yeah the way um, he's broken those up the way he's broken those up into like manageable pieces with stories they are so easy to learn from for for anyone um I, I, I agree with you. I couldn't, we, we, in fact, those books that you just recommended, um, I reached out to Ryan holiday before the season started and he sent us copies and, uh, our star player, this is a good story to share. So our star player in Chicago is a guy named Anthony Rizzo. And I can't, I played with Anthony when he was coming up and he's kind of the face of the franchise, 28, having, having the greatest seasons of his life was on the world series team, making all-star teams, hitting a lot of home runs. And he came up to me and he said, Hey, um, he's like all this success. He goes, my ego's getting out of control. <laughs> I need some help. And so I gave him that book and he read it and he loved it. And he took those messages to heart. So he, he fully endorses it. I think there's no bigger endorsement than that. And I, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there. Those are Ryan's work. Um, all of his work generally, but those two books, especially as you pointed out, they are a fantastic introduction yeah. to stoicism. You don't have to go read all of the, um, dense philosophy. Um, he, he simplifies it in, in the most appropriate way. Yeah. So what did you say? What is a book that made a huge impact and you would suggest to people and why? Okay. So this is where it gets weird. Um, but I think that people will like this book. Uh, so there's a guy named Neil Strauss. Neil Strauss, um, is a writer, was an Ivy league educated writer and he was on a tour with Motley Crue, the band, because he wrote their book for them. He kind of ghost wrote their book, but he had no success with women. Now this is where it gets weird. He wrote a book called the game, uh, and the game is all about um, these kind of sleazy group of people that go around picking up girls. That's their, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Now it's not what they're doing that I learned from that book. It's the, it's the system and, and it's, and it's approach to, it's an approach to sports and like sports improvement that I took away from that book, that it's a lesson that I like to always share with people. So basically what happens in that book is he takes these people that girls don't pay any attention to, and they go to this guy up in Canada and he teaches them how to get their attention. And if they want to, if they want that girl to be the girlfriend, they teach, he teaches them how to basically, I don't want to say trick them into doing it, but the entry points and how to, how to, how to, I guess, win, um, those, those, those arrangements. Um, but there's an interesting thing that happens is that when they go in, they have this massive like systematic process where everything is thought out from the hat that they wear to the first words that they say. 
and the way that they handle rejection is because that's the most that's the most difficult thing for all of us to to um, handle as human beings, right? We're still we're still to a certain extent animals. We're still we got a lot of leftover monkey stuff in us that wants to climb to the top of the tree. And when and if a girl doesn't like you or a guy or whatever whatever the um, whatever it is, uh, that hurts. That hurts mm-hmm. to the core. Um, and so I'm thinking like, how do they handle this? And they put all of their energy and all of their focus and all of their blame onto the system. Step six was wrong. Step six needs to be changed. And that's what I really took away from that book. And you don't even need to read the book to get the lesson, but that's the message. It's like, Mm -hmm. I began to look at myself as a baseball player as like create a player. And so I completely removed all subjectivity from my own skill set, And I just looked at it objectively and said, where am I bad? Like, where am I bad? Where do I need to improve? What do I need to work on right now? What's the, what's the, and I also found an interesting correlation. Usually where you're bad is where you don't want to practice. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's how I found it. I mean, it's, I look, I like in it in, um, like I look at it with jujitsu now, um, where I'm really bad in jujitsu or where I feel like I was bad, I'm getting better at was on my feet. Like I was, you know, like I, I'm, my, I don't feel like my wrestling was very good. So I, you know, I talked to Bo, who's one of our coaches and he's like, you just have to shoot. And it hit me. I go, you know what? That's really, he's exactly right. Like I have to just commit to doing this over and over and over again. And I need to practice whatever is my weakness. I need to practice it first. And so that's, that's kind of how I started to arrange my practice after that. I would look at my game objectively. I could look at it completely without any emotion. You know, this was the create a player out on the mm-hmm. field. This is, I was the person in charge, like the video, I was like a video game. I was the person in charge of organizing all of the training for that creative player. And then he would go out and play and he would test, he would test his, uh, he would test his stuff on this outcome based system. And then he would come in and we'd say, okay, we got three out of four outcomes, right? We want to get four out of four outcomes, right? How can we adjust this process and then send him back out to play again? And I kind of lost the emotional tie to any of it and I really feel like I apply that it's one of the things I really apply to um to jujitsu too is like and I think everybody has to learn when you go through it like there's there's going to be times even even at even at uh the longer I train I'm, I'm sure where I might just get tapped by the person that I don't expect it to happen from you know like some guy might do a perfect move and it happens to you and you have to be willing to just release that immediately as this is practice and I need to learn from this right away. I need to learn from this right away. I need to learn why it happened. And, and I, and I don't need to be disappointed in myself. I don't need to be, I don't, I need to have the self-compassion to just let it go. I'm learning to do something. I don't know how to do it that well yet. And we never usually will. So being able to forgive myself is what I learned from that book too. It was like a systematic approach to self-forgiveness and then this circles all the way back to like Eric Barker and Barking Up the Wrong Tree, which is another book um, out of a research out of UCLA where he talks about that more important than self-confidence is the ability to forgive yourself when you mess up. That's where real self-confidence comes from. Self-compassion is a more important idea. And, and reading a book that's, that one of my friends recommended about pickup artists led me to that thing. So I think that there's, there's, some, stuff to be, there's some stuff to be learned in those guys' methods. Um, that apply systematically as opposed Mm -hmm. to you don't need to go out and do all those things that they were doing, but reading their stories and learning about kind of, you know, how they viewed failure was an incredibly valuable thing for me that, you know, just proves that you can learn something in any Avenue from anywhere. 
Dude, you dropped a lot of good stuff right now. You know, <laughs> I think maybe some people who are listening, eh, maybe some who resonate with it, some you just have to believe in. You know, you can give some advice because actually is going to be our next question about best advice ever received. You can give advice or whatever, but people need to live those experiences. And what you mentioned about uh, self-compassion is something that I started to study a lot more in the past few years, uh, self-forgiveness, which is huge. I don't think people realize how crucial this is for you to move forward in your life in your career detaching emotionally from you know the process it's so and man it's key there's one thing that gary vaynerchuk say that's one of the my favorite one of the favorite phrases that i picked up from him he said stop being romantic about your business which is basically stop being romantic about your professional career stop being romantic you know what i mean and be emotionally detached and do is that everything that you just said, that's basically what that is. If you're an entrepreneur, I, it took me a long time for me to realize, because before, remember when I was 16, I decided, okay, I want to have my academy, all that stuff. So years and years in, I was so emotionally attached to, but it's my baby. No, it's my, it's a business. Okay. It's a business that provides a service that change people's lives. Yes. But I'm not as emotionally attached as I used to be. I started to be a lot more rational to it. And because of that, the academy took off the way it did in the, you know, in the past few years. You know, so super important what you said, man. If people want to actually, I'm interested in, in check out this book, but everything, the concepts that you mentioned are so valuable. Now, what is the best advice we've ever received? Man, um, there was a, uh, when I was in seventh grade, um, there was a, a anonymous quote on the wall and I've seen it attributed to a lot of different people, but I can remember it being in my, I was 13 years old. It was in my seventh grade homeroom. And at that moment in life, when I read that, I knew that that was something I would always hold on to forever. And it was failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that kind of, that there's nothing that can be taken out or added into that like statement to make it any better. Um, that is the, it's basically the idea of karma. You know, you are mm -hmm. what you put in, you are what you put out there. You, you get what you expect to get. And the way that you expect to get things is by sacrificing and preparing for them. Um, and back to the beginning of what we were talking about, that's what, that's what it's all about. That's I don't look at, um, I don't look at failure in the same way as everybody else. I look at it as feedback. And mm -hmm. so uh, you can see how kind of my life philosophy all comes from the, from failing to prepare is preparing to fail, you know, mm -hmm. get out there and prepare. And sometimes the failure of preparation prepares you to fail too. Um, when your preparation is wrong and, and that's where I tend to spend all my energy. You know, I'm always wanting to practice, wanting to practice, wanting to pra You want to get better at something you want to practice. You want to, you want to grow that business, right? You know, practice like practice like now, now, like now practically apply, the things that you've learned, I'll take all the, all, all the best information that you have, look at it for a second, make your, make, take your initial judgment and push it forward. Like you'll learn more from failing than you will from being conservative. Um, you'll learn more from taking risks than you will from not taking them generally. Uh, and that's when you, when you, again, we talked earlier a little bit about like the highest achievers and the highest performers. They expect it. They expect yeah. it to, I mean, I've, I've, played with hall of famers hall of fame baseball players and it's almost like they're wizards or something with how they think like they always expect success 
100% of the time, right? And, and when they don't do well, they, it, they release it immediately and they are right back into their process and they are right back into, well, this is what leads me to the success. This is where I choose to focus all my time. And I expect those things. And you, and you meet those people and you see that all these things that they seem to expect just continually happen. They run into somebody else that's talking about the same thing that they were talking about yesterday. And, and the, the universe has an interesting way of just snowballing things in this positive direction for people mm -hmm. to feel that way. So that's what, that's what that quote kind of brought out in me, you know, is, is, is it's, 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 it's the process. Mm -hmm. don't, don't never, never fail to prepare that's where all your psychological stress comes from. For sure. Now getting close to the interview, which is longer than the normal, which I'm enjoying very much. So sorry, you know, I talk so, way too much. It's my yeah, fault. Yeah, no, if you know, people are still digging in, it just take longer because <laughs> I'm gonna have my final thoughts after the interview as well. So I think about I mentioned I usually share about my takeaways or I teach some personal development. And for people who don't know, because sometimes gets to the end of the interview and people are like, okay, the interview is over. But this is the part that, because doing an interview, it's easy. You're the one delivering the, the content to me. You know, that's the easy part. Creating those final thoughts that I share, that is the toughest part. Sometimes for me to do a seven-minute audio, it can take me eight hours to create the content. Wow. Because I'm like really putting, you know, I meditate before. What's my intention? What exactly do I want to convey to people? And, and I research. I start typing and then suddenly I research and I go back and I research and I want to make sure that every time, every audio that I'm putting out there, you know, just make sure that for all the listeners who are always listening to the podcast, it's always with the intention to inspire, impact and improve someone's life. And especially for you, the listener who is, who's doing that, trust me, I'm doing my best. I'm far from knowing everything. That's one of the reasons that I have this podcast. So I can pick up a lot of knowledge from other people as well. So just make sure you guys stick around for those final thoughts. And now just to wrap up, what are you currently excited about? What's going on? Well, you know, I got a, a partner at work named Darnell McDonald, and we're, we're working on a business um, to, to kind of be able to take these ideas and the things that we do with the Cubs off because I've had some, since I've started doing this work, I've had these requests. And so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about learning about consulting. Um, and you know, I've done some work with, uh, I went down and worked with the WWE in Orlando at their training center. Um, and I went, went and spoke at the university of UNLV, UNLV and at leaders in, in Chicago at soldier field. So I've had some interest in coming and spreading this, coming out and spreading this message. And so I'm, I'm excited about that kind of off season, uh, work. You know, we have the baseball season goes from April to October 31st. And, and then I get, I get my off season coming up, which mm -hmm. I'm excited about pursuing those things. And then, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm about to pull the trigger on a master's program. Um, it's been, it's kind of been a lot of, I've taken a lot. I, I can't just sign up for something, um, without giving it any thought. So I've really been thinking about and asking questions to people that are in this field about, mm -hmm. should I approach this from a mental health and counseling perspective, or should I pro, pro, should I approach it from a clinical psychology perspective, or should I approach it from a sports psychology perspective? So I have been weighing, uh, weighing these different programs, whether they be from national university or JFK, there's a lot of options to do them online, um, or even Arizona state again, mm -hmm. and trying to figure out what fits best for me. But I can't go too long without uh, some sort of learning curriculum. So mm -hmm. I'm very excited about, I'll be very excited when my textbooks show up. I know that sounds strange. My, my parents trained me very well. I'm lucky mm -hmm. uh, that I like to pursue these things. But yeah, those two things, growing this business, um, learning about consulting, 
learning some more in school. And then finally, I mean, our Chicago Cubs are in first place in the National League Central. We've got the postseason coming up soon. And, and I'm really I'm really hopeful and excited for this postseason. It's going to be fun to be a part of and be with the team um, as they as they try to win another World Series. You know, there's no I learned so much from those guys. They're all 10 years younger than me. Uh, they have to deal with being these massive celebrities and they do it with such kind of grace and poise. And I'm just blown away by this generation of major league player that we have. And I learned so much from them, you know, like all these issues that we're talking about with the phone and stress, like they are navigating a minefield of stressors and they do it so well. Uh, and so, like I said, I learned from them and I take it back to our youngest players here in Arizona uh, cool. and, and spread their message. And I'm, I'm excited about all three of those things. Awesome. And how they can learn more about you if you want anything that you want to plug and a final message to regardless if they're entrepreneurs, they're pro athletes or people who are in pursuit of living their authentic life. And that's exactly what I mentioned to you prior to the interview, because I do talk about entrepreneurship, people that are in transition and a lot of, but essentially people who are in pursuit of their authentic lives, doing being authentic to their desires, what they want, go after. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but basically what message would you have for them, for people who are interested and committed in getting to this journey of just being yourself? Yeah, well, that's it. That's, that, that is my, that's the same message is learn how to be yourself. Learn how to sit and observe what you're thinking about. Learn how to put the focus inward. Like it's inside of you. It's nowhere else. It's not, it's not going to come from the external environment. You're not going to find all of the answers to whatever you're looking for in somebody else's books. You're going to find out, you're going to find out what, what it means to be you inside of you. So start looking and figure out those things that make you happy and then go and pursue them. And, and I think the other thing is to act. Like I said earlier, just act now, act now. There's no, there's no time. There's, there's no time other than, than right now. So develop the self-awareness to figure out what you love to do and then go do that. Go do that. And, and when you do that, you make everybody else around you happier when you do those things. And there's a, there's a happiness, there's a happiness meter, 9% versus 4%. If you're happy, and, and we meet each other, my happiness goes up 9%. If you're unhappy, uh, you knock us down 4%. Mm -hmm. So positivity always wins out. It always wins out. The happiness, happiness part of it always wins out. So the more you can be like that, even if you, even if you don't think you're, you're making a big impact, but the more you walk around, even outside, make eye contact with people like that, you are changing the world. We don't, we always forget that, but you're changing the world, you know, be the change that you want to see. Walk around with a smile on your face, chasing your own dreams focusing on your process, being in the present moment. That's, that's where it all happens. And that's my main message. Um, if people want to follow me, I have two social media accounts. They're different names. I'm sorry. Um, the one on Twitter is at man bear wolf. That's all one thing at man bear wolf. And the one on Instagram is at C John learn S E E J O H N and the word learn. Uh, and that's, mainly where I check into uh, the jujitsu classes all over the country that I go to, <laughs> that Sweet. I go to, I try to, I try to spread everybody's um, everybody that hosts, hosts me at their gym when I'm gone. I really try to say positive things about them. And, and I, I want to say too, I know that the jujitsu community listens to this. I want to say thank you to that entire community. Um, the, the, the hole that you guys all filled for me when I left professional baseball, I didn't think that that void could be filled. And now I don't even think about, uh, I don't even think about swinging a bat anymore. I think about mastering, mastering a barambolo. And I, mm. I, I'm so thankful to the, to the, to that group of people for their like acceptance and positivity. And everywhere I go, um, 
I, I always make friends and I, I appreciate that so much. And, and, and gee, thank you for having me on this. And thank you for that school. Like I said, it's been, it's my new team. Uh, I was on a team my whole life and now I feel like I walk right in and I'm, and I'm with a group of people that's all living the, living your message out on the mat, living it out with each other. Um, and we're, we're always so happy. My whole family goes in and trains there and we're always so happy when we walk out those doors. So thank you for what you started. Awesome. Thank you so much for the interview, dude. I had so much fun. That's our longest interview. We could definitely go even longer, but you know that people who, here's the thing when people enjoy the content, they will listen. If, if someone wants a 15 minute podcast, they shouldn't listen to my podcast. It's the same yeah, thing right. going in with uh, Joe Rogan. You know what you're going in for, you know what I mean? And this two hour plus, if it's not the format that you want, don't even mess with it, you know? So definitely the this podcast, I don't have a, a set limit, you know, usually goes around 40, 50, but as long as there's content and you're sharing, people want to listen, great. And if it's not the format for them, they should, you know, definitely find something shorter. So thank you so much for your time and all the listeners just stick around for my final thoughts. Oos, man. Thank you. Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with John Baker. As I mentioned in his intro, John, who is a blue belt in jiu-jitsu, played baseball professionally in the major leagues for seven years, and he's the mental skills coach for the Chicago Cubs. As I usually mention, I hope you're able to grab at least one good takeaway from the interview, and hopefully you can actually implement this takeaway in your life. My main takeaway is the first module of the five modules the Chicago Cubs presents during five weeks to all players from 17 to 18 years old from all over the world, grooming them in all aspects, especially mentally for them to hopefully perform one day in the major league. The first module is control, which is the foundation of the Stoic philosophy. Epictetus said, we should always be asking ourselves, is this something that is or is not in my control? Epictetus was born a slave around 55 AD in the eastern reaches of the Roman Empire. Once freed, he established an influential school of Stoic philosophy, stressing that human beings cannot control life, only their responses to it. Personally, when I implemented the study in my life back in 2010 because of jiu-jitsu competition, I felt I was finally introduced to the concept of self-awareness, the number one pillar of the emotional intelligence. After a win, however, not a fulfilling win, at the 2010 IBJJF Las Vegas International Open, I started to question how I was feeling. Have you ever done that? I asked, why am I feeling anxious? Why am I not performing the same way I train? So I decided to get to the bottom of this, and I went home, Google mental preparation for jiu-jitsu. And there was nothing really available, so I looked for general sports, and I found The Fearless Athlete by Dr. Patrick Cohn, a 14-day plan for unbeatable trust. When I took my first assessment called Testing Your Fear of Failure, I finally realized, dude, I'm a wreck. There are 12 questions, and I answer yes to all of them. Here are some examples of some of the questions that I answer yes, not necessarily the same ones, but same context. Number one, do you perform better in practice than during a competition? Yes. Do you suffer from anxiety, worry, or excess of tension prior and during competitions? Yeah. Are you afraid of disappointing your coaches, teammates, friends, and or family? Uh, yeah. 
Are you afraid of making costly mistakes during your match? Yes. Do you attach your self-worth to how well you perform in sports? Uh, yes. So, have you ever heard of the quote, you don't know what you don't know until you know it? Well, that made a lot of sense to me, and one of the steps from the course was identify the things you can control and the things you cannot control. In jiu-jitsu was control. You can control your effort, your diet, your sleep, technical training, strategic training, physical training, mental training. Can't control if you're going to win or lose. Disappointing others. If you, you can't control your opponent's resume, if the tournament is taking forever or not. With that being said, you must focus on things you can control. That's why it's so important to stop to think about what you think about. Self-awareness is key so you can self-regulate and self-manage your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors so you can focus on things that you can control and are going to serve your purpose, not hold you back or move you away from your goals. The Cubs practice used with their players are followed by four more modules. The first one being the control, the second one, the gratitude, third one, visualization, fourth, mindfulness and presence, and the fifth, the integration, putting everything together for the competition. Now I'm going to share with you how you can prepare yourself for your next tournament based on using the concepts of the five modules. Not necessarily in specific order, but the number one still needs to be control the controller. Remember, Epictetus said, is this something that is or is not in my control? So fill out the assessment that I have available for free on this episode's post at the BJJMentalCoachPodcast.com to locate some of the negative patterns that might be holding you back and make a list of things you can and cannot control. Then you can start the process of visualizing yourself in the competition area. If you don't have the interest in competing, just visualize yourself in an under-pressure situation like an important business meeting or something. But you must visualize not only your performance, but also the process of preparation and the process on the day of the tournament, walking into the gym, looking for the podium and telling yourself, at the end of the day, I'll be on the top of that podium. Is it going to happen? I really don't know, but it's your mental movie, so you can create whatever movie you want. Think about the process of checking your gi, the weigh-in process, and then the mat coordinator taking you all the way to your mat. The referee calls you to step on a mat. You shake hands and combat starts the match. Visualize the whole process and your performance. Of course, you must be aware of your dark passenger. Remember the negative voice that lives in your head, which is basically your ego. You and your dark passenger will be roommates for life. Negative patterns don't disappear. You learn how to control them. How? With self-awareness and presence. On the day of the competition, you must be very present because it's the integration day when you put all the hard work together. You must be mindful of when the negative thoughts start to rush in. Question those thoughts on the spot. Again, Epitetus said, is this something that is or is not in my control? Thoughts like, number one, man, this tournament's taking forever. It's too hot here. It's too cold here. 
stop, stop, stop. Do you have any control of that? No. So move on. Is that a conspiracy against you? No, it sucks for everyone. So move on. Number two. Man, the referee on my mat sucks. I hope he doesn't mess up. Do you have any control of that? Do you con can you control if the referee is going to do his job or not? So no, back and focus on your performance, the moves that you're going to use, the game plan that you that you plan on using. Number three, that guy won the world's. Okay, can you control someone's resume? No, it's a fact. The fact cannot be changed. Only a response to the fact can be changed. He won the world. Fine. The problem is the negative opinion after the fact. That guy won the world, and I don't know if I can beat him. No, 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 no. Just stop right there. He won the world. Fact. Let me test myself. Let's see what happens. Number four. Did I train hard enough? Dude, if you're going to ask yourself about this, you should ask this question about two months ago. It is what it is. When you're in a competition area, you just that's why the hard work is the foundation of self-confidence. When you know that you did everything you could to actually prepare for the competition, you're, you're not be able, you're not going to necessarily ask yourself, did I hit train hard enough? Because you know you did. Number five. I don't want to disappoint anyone. Okay, here's the thing. Can you control the expectations that others have about you? If someone's going to be disappointed because you're not meeting their expectations for your performance, that's on them, not on you. So people who love you and care about you, they will be with you regardless through the good and or the bad performances. Last one. Man, I can't wait to be over. I'm so anxious. Why? You're the one who chose to be there. Be grateful. How many people would love to be in your position competing, but they can't? Because they were injured. They couldn't afford it. They didn't have a visa to travel. They were scared. Or even worse, they don't even train because they got hit with life and responsibilities. But they always had in the back of their mind saying, man, I wish I could train again. I wish I could compete again. So be grateful and enjoy the moment during the competition because one day you will be very, very old and you won't be able to compete anymore. And you're going to tell yourself, man, how much I miss competing, that adrenaline, but I can't anymore. So in closing, focus on things you can control. Be grateful for being alive. Set the vision that you want for your life. Be mindful and present so you can integrate all these modules together and help you to perform to the best of your abilities with the tools and knowledge that you have right now. Sometimes your best is enough to win. Sometimes it's not. But at least you'll be at peace that you did the best you could with what you knew. So learn how to control your dark passenger, instead of letting your dark passenger control you. Oh, We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. 
Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.